Thanks for tuning in. You are now listening to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast with your host, Ken Cairns, a weekly sports card podcast with lessons he's learned in the hobby and life lessons he's learned along the way. So sit back and relax. There won't be a test. The only thing being graded is the cards. You are now on with Ken. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast with me, your host, Ken. I'm a retired teacher documenting my story here on the pod, finding teachable moments to share with all of you along the way. Don't forget to hit me up on Instagram at sportscard underscore lessons. Hit that follow button. And you can also watch these episodes on the Sports Card Lessons YouTube channel. Welcome, everyone. How is everyone doing? Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave some feedback. I'm really excited for today's guest, the first guest of season two. He's the host of Sports Card Live, Collectibles Live, PWCC Live, and the Vice President of Business Development at Tag Grading Company. Welcome, Jeremy Lee. Thank you, Ken. It's an honor to be here, but it's a super honor to be the first guest of your season two. So thank you for having me. Are you the hardest working guy in the hobby? Oh yeah, of course I am. <laughs> reading all that, I, I don't. I don't know how you find time to do anything else. You know, I don't. I don't know how I ever had a full time job outside of the hobby. Now that I look back, but um, yeah, I, I keep busy and uh, I get a lot of work done when the kid, when when my young kids are asleep, starting at about seven thirty my time. So um, yeah, I. I don't consider it work. I enjoy everything I do, but yeah, I stay busy. That's for sure. Nice. Nice. And, and, and I have to say, I think you may even be the tallest guy in the hobby. So well, there's, there's, there's my friend, Justin, who's sick. He goes by six ten sports cards on Instagram, Ooh. who is six ten, but uh, I'm a, just a hair under six, six. So I'm definitely yeah. among the taller people. That's for it, sure. It, it's funny. I saw uh, a picture of you and my good friend, Rob sports card therapist from national and uh, we have a number of pictures of us together, and he always seems to tower over me. He's like six one, and I'm five eight, right? And all of a sudden, I look at this picture. I'm like, Rob, how, are you kidding me? How tall is he? <laughs> I've never seen anybody tower over him before, right? Uh, so yeah, welcome. Uh, really excited to have you on. Um, it's interesting because this is the first time we're meeting. But because I've watched uh, so many of the Facebook lives and I've listened to so listen to you on so many of the podcasts uh, and interviews, you know, I feel like I've known you for years. And I think that that's what the hobby does to us. Right. We get to know people so well. So I, I'm probably not going to, you know, jump out and say, hey, tell me all about you, the beginning of your collections. I, I, I think probably everybody has heard that story before. Um just kind of give me, uh, you know, just a quick rundown of where you're at now as far as, because I know hobby and business are the same. So so on your collecting side, where are you at now? I mean, collecting runs through my blood, Ken. It's something that I've, I've been doing. I can't remember a time of life where I wasn't collecting. Uh, going back to, you know, like Star Wars figures and what, 1979, whenever that was. So you know, sports cards started for me. I think the first time I really saw one was about 1979. So I I love collecting cards, and no matter what, no matter what I've been doing in my life, I've, I've it's always been a part of it. So right now, 
you know, I'm a, I love my Hall of Fame rookies going back through all four sports, going back to the beginning of time. Uh, but I find that, you know, interests move through like wherever my my whatever I'm really focused on at one given time or one year, one season might be different the next year. The you know, it's I I'm always the nice thing about this hobby is that there's always something new to find. There's you can always discover something that you never knew existed before, you know, whether whether it's the 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 very rare and creative inserts and parallels from that second half of the 90s or you want to get into some non-sport, maybe some Hollywood, you know, Swedish and Dutch cards from the 50s, 60s and 70s um or or you want to get into like the the hockey inserts from the 2010s, which I I love these things. Um I'm always my collection is very broad. I don't collect any one specific type of card or player or team. I collect a lot of different things. So I'm always all over the place, but I'm all but I'm very organized in it. And I'm always able to find something new right now, right currently. My focus is on sort of autograph patch cards, hockey for the most bit part, a little bit of football. And I'm really enjoying that because it's just kind of where I want to. I want to kind of build that part of my collection up to to just have it represented. And and I love I love the cards. I love we're very fortunate in hockey, right? Can we have very nice patches yep. with all the colors and Usually all the, game the nice used. logos? Yeah, game used, game worn. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that was a very scattered answer, but that's kind of I'm all I'm I'm scattered in my collecting, but it's a very organized scatter. Yeah, but but you know that's the greatest thing about the hobby, right? When you when you get into collecting, um, and a lot of the people who jumped in during the pandemic, it was all about the money, right? And 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 I think a lot of those people are past that now. I know I'm one of those people that are past that, and it's so nice to sit back and say, I like that. I'm going to buy it. Like I want that for me. I want that in my collection. I don't care if uh, nobody else in the hobby collects it. If I like it, I'm going to get it. And that's the one thing about the hobby. When you don't care about the money and you all of a sudden you start collecting, you know, you hear this all the time, collect what you love, right? But collect, you start collecting the things that make you feel good. I mean, it, the hobby, the word, the hobby, and you being in the hobby brings on a whole new meaning to the hobby. 100%. I think what resonated most with me when you just said is when you collect just because you love the cards. And I've said this before, even recently, that, I can look at certain cards in my collection or I can see a card on an online platform that I want to acquire and it can actually, I will have like a physiological response in my body where I will feel it in my stomach like the butterflies and then I am then I fixate on, if I don't own the card, I fixate it on it until until that, you know, the the auction ends and I can actually make, place my bid and and buy it and then I, and then, and then I have we have that anticipation of the mail day. You know, you you get you you go pick up the card from the post office or it lands at your house, and then you open it up, and then you you go through your your very personal process of incorporating it into your collection, whether that's scanning it, documenting it, adding it to your Excel spreadsheet, whatever you're doing. Um, I love the whole process, but it's that physiological response that I don't know if. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt it in your stomach? God forbid it doesn't show up the day it's supposed to show up. And you're like, what's wrong? It says right here. It should be here today. How? Where did it go? Where is it disappeared right. to? Yeah. You, you know, the first response that I had, 
I had a submission. Uh, we were sending cars to PSA and uh, I, it was the first time that I had given the cars to somebody else and said, okay, send these off. And at those, that time they were my, my prized possessions. Right. And we sent them off and I'm anxious, you know, the grading, I know it's going to take a while. It's, it's expensive. It's whatever. And then the phone call came like five weeks later that the cards were missing. And, and to me, it was like someone just tore the heart right out of my chest. Like I didn't even know how to feel. And even to this day, right. When I talk about that story, I have that respire, that feeling. So, you know, when I send cards to PSA, I ensure the crap out of it. Right. And then I watch it. Or, or if I'm sending them, sending it, somebody's bought something from me on Facebook and I have to send them that card, I ensure it. And I like, I'm watching it every day, every morning I get up and I look. So yes, it's, it's almost the same thing as cards coming in, then cards going out. There's, there's something that happens within us when it comes to these cards, no matter, no matter what it is, whether it's, it's the excitement of buying it, the anticipation of receiving it, or being nervous to send it off to somebody else that you hope it's going to arrive safely. I mean, these are our most prized possessions, you know, outside of our children. Um, these are the, these are our favorite things that we have. I mean, I don't care about cars, yeah. no D car vehicles. I don't care about a car, a car. I, to me, it's, it's, it's an unimportant uh, possession. I, you know, they, 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 they depreciate. So you know, it really depends what what turns your crank. What are you like? Do you like do you like watches? Do you like designer clothing or just nice clothing? Like, what do you? How do you want to put? How do you want to spend your discretionary income? What items make you happy? And for collectors, uh, you know, for sports car collectors, it's it, it's cards. That's what that's what we love. And yeah. when we're waiting for them to arrive or we're shipping them off, it's 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 like it's like an adoption process when you ship your card off. And even sometimes, you know, I've sold cards that I've owned for a very long time for various reasons over the years. And if it's a card that I've owned for like 20 years, I'm not going to sell it to the highest bidder. No, no. I'm going to hand select the person I'm going to sell. It. And what I mean by that is if I'm at a card show and I've got a card in my showcase and somebody comes up and says, Hey, I, I'm interested in that card over there. And it's a card. This happened with my Mario Lemieux rookie that I had since I was a kid. I had it graded by PSA. It came back an eight, and I eventually acquired a PSA nine copy. So you know, I, I went from a, a near mint mint to a mint copy, and and but my PSA eight was my childhood copy. Well, the per when I put it in my showcase to sell it, the guy came up, wanted to buy it. Well, he had to answer a ton of questions before I was letting him walk <laughs> away with my childhood Mario Lemieux rookie. I want to. What else is in your collection? How long have you been collecting? What do you know? What do you? How long do you intend to hold it for? I don't want it being passed around and flipped 20 times. Hmm. Some cards I don't care about. Yeah. But this is a card that meant a lot to me. And it was like an, he had to go through an adoption process to take this card off my hands. <laughs> and at the end of all that, did he ask for a discount or did he just pay the price? I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing though, Ken. He answered the questions in such a way that the money, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to get money for the card, but it wasn't about the money. It was about where was that card going? So yeah. I don't remember how the negotiation ended, but I'll tell you what, because I was so pleased with the collection that that card was going into, I would have been willing to give him a better price than a way better price than someone who was coming up to buy it just to go sell it later. Yeah.
Yeah. I mean, in my, in my cases, I set up at shows in my cases, you know, I, I have, I have a lot of cards, a lot of slabbed cards and 90% of those cards all come with a story. So, and, and it's like a similar of what you're saying. So when somebody's buying a card or they ask me about a card, I tell them the story. And, and every time I tell that story, that story gets better. Right. And, and, until the point where I've got that story down, I can knock it right out and it sounds perfect. And when somebody actually buys the card, I'm like, well, there, there goes that story. I, I, that's, I could just no more story. Right. Cause the card is sold. So I kind of, I have a feel, I know what you're saying. Cause every, you know, when you're in the hobby, everything comes with a story, right? It's, it's all about how you feel, you know, when you get it, it's all about the feeling. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we, you can't keep all the cards and I mean, <laughs> most people can't keep them all. So yeah. when you, when you do move a card, you just have to be okay with it, let it go. And uh, even that Lemieux I was talking about, I, somewhat i sort of regret selling it but at the same time i'm glad that somebody else is enjoying it and i i know it's in a in a loving home among other wonderful cards so <laughs> i'm okay that i don't have it anymore and yep. i've got other cards with great stories so it's yeah. it's nice to pass some it's just a good feeling to to see cards go into great collections and be loved by their by their collector absolutely so so i know you're from winnipeg uh and i i have relatives in Winnipeg. So I went out there. I spent some time out there last August uh, after national. I went out there and uh, there was four uh, LCSs out there. So I went around to all four of them. And one of the interesting things is as soon as I went in, I introduced myself, you know, hey, I'm from the States. Uh, I have a podcast. The first thing they say is you must know Jeremy Lee. <laughs> Everybody asked, you must know Jeremy Lee, right? I mean, you were like, like a little bit of a celebrity up there on all these different, every, every one I went to, they all asked me the same thing, you know, you must know. So did you feel like, I know you're out of Winnipeg now and you left Winnipeg. I mean, was one of those, actually, my first question was one of those local, your local, you owned a local card store there, right? Was one of those, is that store still open? No, no. I had a shop. I had a card shop in Winnipeg from 91 to 94. Uh, we were called JJ's Sports Cards. And we were on uh, Grant and Centennial, Grant Street and Centennial Street intersection. Uh, a small shop right during the junk wax era. And uh, I was in university at the time. And by the we kind of closed because the hobby was settling down after junk wax. Mm -hmm. And I was just too busy uh, in, in my university uh, career and getting ready for for, you know, grown-up life i guess so we end up closing it up but yeah th that shop is, is no longer there but i i'm i'm certain i know all the shops you went into yeah yeah well i did a whole episode about it you go back and uh you know go back to my season one it was you i know, listened i listened oh. i listened to those episodes i remember i listened to those episodes yeah. uh uh on on an airplane so i i did yeah. i i remember yeah. actually ken i i have a very vivid memory right now walking through an airport, probably LAX, listening to you. I swear. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I, hopefully, I'm going to have a memory walking through LAX, listening to you someday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm traveling out there and you know heading out to a Burbank show, probably. Right. Yeah. That's that's one of my goals. Um, but you took time off, right? So after the LCS, after that, you left that business. You took a like quite a few years off, right? Before you jumped back in the hobby? Well, so we closed up the shop. And then the one gap I have in my whole history of life where the hobby wasn't like my number one thing 
was 95 to 2000, 95 to 99 inclusive. You know, there I was starting my career. I was articling at Arthur Anderson, which is no longer around because of Enron. Um, and it was, I just couldn't focus on, on the hobby. That said, I still kept tabs on it. I was still buying the odd card, the odd box here and there, going into Joe Daly sports cards in Winnipeg or superstars in Winnipeg on Portage Avenue. And, uh, you know, seeing Ken and Kyle and Joe and Travis at, at Joe Daly's. So I wasn't as immersed in it as I was, as I have been for the other parts of my life. But yeah, that would be the slowest period I had was that second half of the 90s. Yeah. And the motivation to jump back in? Was it, well, was it just, was it one box of wax? Was it, was it one, one card that you saw or a show that you went to? What, what was the draw that brought you right back in? I mean, I don't feel like I was brought right back in. I feel like I was just sort of, it was more, it was a smooth kind of like, it was a natural thing. Like I, I, I never, I still had all my cards in my collection. Um, and then what it, I guess, but what, what really it was, was number one, I was done studying. Number two, I had a job that paid me my, my first real career money. So I had money now. Um, and then I remember a, a, a friend of mine was also sort of into it. So, you know, we talk about it um, and he's kind of getting back into it a bit now, like right now he's a big football fan. Um, and then it was like, I guess a couple rookies came into the into hockey that I was I was enamored with Martin Havlat, Marion Gabarik. I mean these guys are these guys are a good warning against maybe prospecting for the long term. We can get into that a bit maybe, but yeah. um yeah, it was it was nothing no one thing specific. It was just okay. I've got time, I've got money. Let's 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 go back and buy cards again and and uh, catch up on what we what we kind of were slowed slowed down on. Nice. Nice. And it was when you jumped back in, was it a right full time? I mean, not I mean, I know it's not like a full time job. Were you full full blown back into the hobby, like going to shows and things like that? Or did it take time before you were working your way up to that? And I don't even know Winnipeg. Does Winnipeg have did they have shows back then or did you have to actually travel? Oh, no. Winnipeg had card shows, the, the Grant Park. So Grant Park is a is a shopping center and there's a Grant Park High School with a big gymnasium. The Grant Park card shows were i mean i was going to those as a kid through the 80s and they i they may they might continue today I, i'm not sure but um you know jumping back in yeah i started and then i moved to calgary i moved to calgary in 2002 and i started i i i discovered the card shops that were here started buying tops heritage hockey unopened product chewing the it came with gum you know chewing the gum building the the re, building the retrofractor set and i you know i noticed that there were some new technologies being utilized on cards and i can it did not take much to <laughs> yeah. suck me in yeah. uh and you know starting in really in in 2000 um yeah i mean i was traveling for work i was seconded to different cities i'd go to see an nhl game whenever i think there was from 2000 to 2002, I think I went to 13 different hockey arenas wow. to watch games because I was traveling for work. And, you know, just being immersed in, in the sport, collecting, you know, it's so collecting cards compliments being a fan so well. For me, it's kind of reversed, though, now where 
going to a game or watching sports complements the hobby. Like I like the hobby more than I like the sports themselves. Yep. Take yep. it for what it is. I'm I'm honest about that, but it, it wasn't always that way. Yeah. No, absolutely. I feel the same way. Like I, I love the sports. Uh and I I was in I jumped in in I you know when I was a kid, it's funny you should mention the gum because when I was a kid I'm, I'm not even give the year, but the hockey cards used to come with this great tasting gum in it, right? Mm. And and you, it was really to open it up and chew the gum. The, the cards were the second, I mean, we're, we're almost second nature, but then before you knew it, you had a whole box of cards, right? Um, and then, you know, there, there's always something, there's always some card, there's always something, and it's the littlest thing that draws you back in. So for me, being a sports fan, Right in the '90s, I started, you know, jumping back in, and I started getting all these cards, and they were autographs and this and that. I didn't realize at the time, like nobody knew at the time, that they were, you know, basically worthless. But to me, they were great cards, and I still have them. I still have those cards today, and I didn't not get rid of them. So when I jumped back into the hobby again, I had these cards, and I'm like, oh my god, these cards must be worth a fortune, right? And you know, little did I know that they were worth nothing, but they were still my cards. But and it's still it's still today. I still, you know, keep them keep them well displayed. I'm still proud of those cards. Right. Well, even that, though the the value. So that's all we're getting all the way back to the value again. Even though the value is not there, it's the cards that make me feel good. It brings me back and reminds me of a time. Yeah. But the value is there, Ken. It's nostalgic value. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares about monetary value on stuff like that? The nostalgic value to me is worth more than the money. I mean, this is your life we're talking about. This is what you love. These are your memories. This is your history. So nostalgic value. The problem with nostalgic value is that it doesn't transfer to the next person, right? So so it's only it's only for you. But but that's the beauty in it. It's very personal. So I completely hear it and uh you know there there's some cards that they don't have to be in wonderful condition. They can be pretty beat up, but to you they're just not for sale. Like, why would you sell? Why would you sell one of those cards that might have a, a market value of 20 bucks? Why would you sell it for what's 20 bucks going to do for you? Why would you sell it for $20 when for you, you can carry it with you for the rest of your life and enjoy yep. it every day that you look at it and brings back those memories. That's what the hobby is. And, and that's where some value, some monetary value does stem from as you know, if enough people have nostalgic value for that player or that card, we see we or historical value we see um the, the financial value come with it but at the end of the day these are just pieces of cardboard with pictures on them yeah, and uh yeah. and and if we enjoy them that's uh yeah. there's so much value there's so much life value in that yeah it's how they make us feel yeah absolutely exactly. so i've heard you say many times on many interviews that you gave up your CPA day job after 25 years to work in the hobby full time. Has that taken away from the, the excitement of collecting it all now that work is hobby and hobby is work? Not one bit, not yeah. even one bit. My collecting cards is, is such a part of my DNA that the fact that I now work with a company that is in the hobby is like it's its own thing where there is crossover is that i want to get my cards into the tag we're talking about tag grading i want to get my cards into the tag slabs because i just think they're they present the the, the best 
So, um, yeah, I mean, and it does, I don't even really care about the condition. I just want them in those slabs. And then, of course, I mean, we can get into what tag is, but, yeah. you know, I, I trust our grading more than any other grading company. So uh, I want my cards in there so I know what the condition is because I do I am I do care about condition, but I don't care about bad condition in, in many cases, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, some cards, uh, I can go on and on about that. But to your question, um, no, they don't, the, the job... The role has not impacted how I love collecting one bit. If anything, it, it's enhanced it because I'm just, I'm all in on the hobby. Yeah. That, that was kind of my next question is, is, is has it made it better? Have you, have, with your collecting and, and your, and your own personal collection, has that been enhanced by your position in the hobby? Like the things you do in the hobby, I'm sure there's, there's, you have much more access to things that maybe you didn't have before well you know what ken i think so so i've got three pillars of the hobby for me my collecting my content and now my role with tag and so the same way that you know my role with tag has has affected my collecting my content has done the same it's affected and how what, what effect am i getting at is relationships and people my show my sports cards live youtube show and podcast has opened up the doors to so many amazing relationships and friendships, like like our friend Rob Gerard. I mean, if it wasn't for content, Rob and I wouldn't be friends. Yeah. Right? You and me, we're starting that right now. It excites yeah. me. It's so but my my podcast, my show, Sports Cards Live, has enhanced the hobby because of relationships. Now my role with tag grading is enhancing it even further because I've met all the amazing people at tag. I can't speak highly enough about our team. And then other people through it, collectors, you know, I've spoken to two of our customers in the last 24 hours and on the telephone. And it's like in you, the hobby, the hobby is a commonality that we share. Collecting is something we have in common when you have, you know, I like to use the word rapport. Rapport is very important to me because it's something that it just means that you get along and you share an energy. Well, the best way to build rapport in life is to find something in common with that person. It's a it's a great sales strategy if you're in sales, you know? Yep. Find that commonality, build the rapport. That person will like you, you'll like them. I mean, but rapport to me is a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's a state of friendship. And, you know, being able to, to build, to have that commonality, build rapport with people, enhancing friendships and relationships, you know, that's, that's one of the best parts about the hobby. So... My role with tag has just enhanced it that way for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great segue. I mean, why, since we're talking about tag, do uh, you have an update for us on what's going on with tag? Sure. I mean, I, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. So I asked you before we started when this would drop and you said next Thursday. So today is what, Friday, January the 13th, if, if you don't mind me saying that. That's fine. And I can tell you that, um, so we've been working very hard at tag to move us from the first from phase one of our launch to phase two phase one we're calling early adopter i kind of call it like a pre-launch where we're we're not taking in many cards very deliberately you know it's we've been not we but tag has been building the business the technology for 10 years it's a lot a lot of work a lot of investment a lot of meticulous uh activity has gone into it because we're building an automated machine learning ai system so 
It's one thing to do that, but then you're going to now go customer facing, take in cards and test your process. Our technology is good. Our process, we didn't know, you know, we have it set up. It's a very streamlined. It, it goes from A to B, intake to shipping, but we hadn't been tested that way. So we want to make sure that we're doing our, that our process is good. And we've been testing it very, very meticulously since really the beginning of September of 2022. And we are about to move into phase two, or th this is my language, not tags language. Let me be clear on that. In my, in my view, we're about to move into phase two. And I think by the time this podcast drops, we will have let the hobby know by updates to our website, emails to our email list, and likely some social media postings as well. So um, that's the update. I know it's kind of cryptic because we haven't sent out this message, but if we had if we recorded this a week later, we could talk much more clearly about what the updates are. Okay. Well, at least me, we're here at the cutting edge, right? <laughs> can I tease you? I can give you one. One okay. of them, one of them, which you will know by now when this drops, is that we are now accepting pack pulled manufacturer authenticated autographs. So up until now, we haven't done that, but by time this podcast drops. Pack pulled autographs from 2000 forward will be uh, something that we're accepting for grading. And will, will that include the, uh, I mean, the thickness of, of the card too? Like some of the, like, uh, like with an RPA? Like no, a, like, so only so up to 50, the card. Yeah, only up to 55 point. Okay. RP, thicker cards up to like 180, 180 points. So your typical, your typical patch, auto patch, RPA and that. We are endeavoring to have those within the cards that we can accept, like by the end of the year. Again, this is my hope. Um, you know, this it's not it's not like easy to do. The biggest challenge with those is now is the edges. We have to make sure that our image capture can pick up the edges and and that our technology can analyze and appropriately uh, pick up the defects, uh, assess them, and then you know produce our 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 grading report. And the final and the grade as well. So we're going to get there. It's 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 all, it's high up on our list of priorities. The uh, the eight subgrades for that. Well, now that comes as a separate report. That's not on on the slab itself, correct? That's right. So um, there's much more than that on the grading report. So our you know we are all about transparency. You know, tag feels that the hobby has been well underserved. Uh, you know, history to date with no explanation of why your card gets the grade that it gets. So, you know, with 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 uh, with the, the big incumbent companies, you know, thinking about, say, PSA as an example, you have you get no indication as to why your card gets the grade it does. With Beckett Grading Services, you do get four subgrades, but it doesn't tell you where on the surface your card was penalized or what corner was penalized or where upon the edges or or how you know, you know the scent, but but how bad is the what is what are the measurements of the centering with tag? We have on our slab we have a QR code. So I'll just show you right now. Here's our here's one of our slabs, fully transparent, just like our grading reports are, just like our grading. But for ease of of display, I'm going to put it against a nice black background and show you. So we have our QR report, our QR code right there, which within it also shows the score that your card got and by our system on a 1,000 point scale. I can just maybe show that up closer. So this Connor McDavid uh, Precious Metal Gem scored an, an 859 out of 1,000, which translates to an 
If you scan this QR code, it brings you directly to the digital image and grading report. We call it the DIG, the DIG report, digital image and grading. And on there, there is a, there's a ton, it's information overload, to be honest. There's a ton of information for someone who is really data-driven. I think there's like 73 different metrics that the card is graded on. And then you, and then it all rolls up to the, to the centering edges, corners, and surface grades. But instead of only being four, you get eight front and back. I've, when I started to really think about this, it doesn't make sense to me that centering gets one grade because the back of the card is completely exclusive from the front of the card. Yeah. So how do you meld that into one number? So we said, we're not going to, we're not going to tell the hobby that 75% of the, of the centering grade should be for the front and 25 for the back. That's a very arbitrary sort of approach. So we said, we'll just show you both and you can decide what's more important to you. So we don't have subgrades on on our on our slabs, but they are they are certainly on the digital image and grading report. And you're going to get a front and a back for all four, and then you're also going to get the precise measurements of the card. You know, today's cards should be two and a half by three and a half inches. We give you those grades to I think it's the thousandth of an inch on each on you know each dimension, which I think is a wonderful thing. And then we also, you know, if you kind of go through our, our report, you also get the exact centering. So, you know, if it's, is it 50-50 or is it 50.1 to 49.9? We give you the exact centering. So, you know, and then you can look and see what the centering score was. And we give you a full surface report where all the defects are. Um, it's comprehensive, Ken. It's very comprehensive. It sounds it. It sounds it. Do you think, too, I mean, just listening to you explain that, do you think, this higher level grading, you know, moving forward, I would have to think that say, say a tag nine and a competitor nine, that the tag would have, would be worth more money. I mean, just be more valuable because it's been graded at such a higher level and not at a level of another company that doesn't, like you said, doesn't even give you any subgrades or any any rhyme or reason why your card got a seven, eight, a nine, or a ten? Um, yeah, I mean, my first comment is let's what 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 we mean by higher level. So to me, um, more more accurate because we are provide. Well, first of all, we're providing full transparency, so you never have to ask yourself when you get your cards back with tag, why did it get this grade? You can hone right in and see exactly why it got that great. And I mean, that's revolutionary in the hobby. And I think it's just something that the hobby should expect. And, and we're providing, we're providing that. Um, it's really important to mention, I want to mention this, that just because we are automated slash computerized slash AI slash machine learning grading, we are not a more difficult grader than any other grading company out there. We've simply taken the industry standards for grading that have been, and you know, our senior grader has, nine plus years as a senior grader with PSA. Uh, his team are experienced graders. So we, you know, we know, and it's funny, I, I call them graders. We have professional card graders on staff, but they don't grade the cards. So, you know, they are overseeing the process and making sure that uh, the cards are being handled properly and all this. So we are not, we are simply taking the existing industry the generally accepted grading standards and applying automation to them so um back to your question i mean yeah my thoughts ken so we also have we also have different 
Like you, you can say, okay, let's say a nine. Let's say, let's say a tag nine. A tag nine is going to have a fifty point spread out of a thousand points before it gets to a ten, or a tag eight before it gets to eight point five is going to cover fifty points on the thousand point scale. So if it's the lowest of the range, you're going to have a weak tag eight. If it's the highest, it's going to be a strong tag eight. So is the strongest tag eight going to sell eventually for more than an average? or any old PSA eight or BGS eight or the other companies, I think the answer is going to be yes, because you know what you're getting. You know that you're getting consistent grading. Our system will spit out the same grade for the card a thousand out of a thousand times. Well, I say the same grade. We also are building in like a four point uh, cushion. So, you know, it, it might get a 967 one time, the next time it might get a 971 or, or four points either way. You know, there's minor things that can happen or dust or whatever it may be. But, you know, we're, we're, we've tested it. You're going to come in very close. Whereas with the human grading companies, you know, you can send in a card. Uh, I once sent in a card, came back uh, to, to, to one of the grading companies, came back a 5.5. I took it out, sent it back in. And again, it came back a 9.5. And that's a 400 one thousandths. That's a 40% change where with us, you're going to be like, you know, 0.04% differential. Yeah. So we're very, yeah. our system's very consistent. And um, I do believe that in time, the hobby will realize that a human grade is simply an opinion. Whereas with, with tag, you're getting more of a scientific uh, uh, assessment of the condition of the card. Do you think this is the future of grading? Like right now, you know, you're at the... This this company, your tag is creating, um, you know, raising the bar here. Just just where other companies like the PSA, the BGS, and all these other companies out there that they may have to, you know, change what they're doing at some point. I mean, it it, it sounds like um, you guys have broken through, like you know, ten years in the in the making that you've done something that probably a million other people have thought of and were never able to do. Right. So is this kind of the beginning of something new? Oh, of course it is. I mean, to me, there's no doubt about it. The world is always evolving around us. Technology is always evolving around us in every industry. It's only natural that the sports card hobby evolves as well as it has been since it started in 1910 really when cards were inserted with cigarettes we don't see that anymore cigarettes aren't even really a thing anymore i know they are but that's you know how many people smoke it these days it's much fewer than a while the world is always evolving ken as you would well know you're an experienced guy you've been a teacher i mean things are always evolving and it's only natural that this would too so yeah i think that uh now can will the other will other grading companies adapt as well i mean we have some pretty good patents at tag so I don't know how how or what they'll do. I'm sure they'll find a way to do something, I, I would expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned and for myself as a collector, like I fell in love with TAG the moment I saw it. And then I fell more in love with TAG when I traveled to their offices last March and saw that, wow, not only do I love what they're doing, but this is a very professional company. I mean, this is these are seasoned business people with a very strong board of directors who, who the company is accountable to. Um, and you know, the response we've had so far from not only collectors who, who have our slabs, but from, you know, the industry insiders, the powerful people in the hobby is nothing short of, um, you know, everyone, everyone that I've come across 
loves what we're doing and they recognize that, yeah, this is the future. You know, for a company like PSA that has so, you know, 10 plus million cards slabbed out there. I mean, if it's, I don't know what they would do to not sort of compromise the values of the cards that are already out there because they wouldn't be as precisely graded as the new ones if they moved into a, a system like ours. So I don't know how they're, how they're, what their strategy will be, but they're smart people over there. They've been around a long time. Um, I'm sure that they'll figure something out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know, know exactly what you're saying. Like I have cards that were slabbed 20 years ago. Right. And I think to myself, you know, here, here is this cards a nine and it was slabbed 20 years ago. Is it possibly in today's standards, it would be a 10, you know, or would it be an eight? Like, like, I have no idea, but if I had a grade on this or or something I could look at to know exactly why it graded the way it did and is something that the human eye or something I could see on that card, then I would be like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, break this card open and send it back or send it to somebody else to get to get graded, right? Um, which I think will, you know, the future of of this, the AI grading I, and, and these reports, I think will stop a lot of people from busting cards open, you know, breaking slabs open and sending them. Or it could mean like a big influx too, right? People taking all these PSA slabs that they've had slabbed over the last 15 years and break them all open and send them to you guys, right? Because they well, feel that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because I think, I think when we first came out, some people were saying, well, yeah, what a great way to, uh, to kind of pre- grade your cards for the other companies but to me that's that's just backwards i mean it makes more sense to me to find the nicest card you can for a grade in a manual human opinion based grading company slab and then move it into tag and see what it really is and then now you know and when it comes to resale at the higher levels i think that you know when we we have collectors you know i'm certainly a collector we have investors people invest in sports cards I'm a I'm an investor by consequence because I've had cards for 40 years that have gone up in value. So hey, good for me. A card I bought for 100 bucks 20 years ago is now worth a thousand. Yeah, that's a pretty sweet uh, yeah. sports card to have. I think that that the serious money out there that is that is in the hobby is going to much prefer a tag graded card to any other human card because they know what they're getting. There's none of this. Well, the guy had a bad day. Or they hit their quota for tens that day, or whatever, whatever sort of um, you know perceptions are out there on how the the manual human opinion grading companies work. With us, there's no there's no opinion. It, it's yeah. the it, it's a system that is based on a very you know a ten years in development uh, system to assess your card. And I mean, I believe in it so much, Ken. Like, listen, I've got I have a very comprehensive collection of cards that are that are encapsulated in PSA, mostly PSA, a lot of Beckett slabs as well. And uh, despite that, I still think that tag is the best. We have the, we, there's no doubt in my mind that tag is the best at grading cards of any of the companies. So mm-hmm. of course I want my cards in there. I want the most accurate grading I can possibly get. And it's not an opinion, right? I mean, that's no. really what it comes down to. That's why people break the slabs open and keep resending cards back in because it's an it's an opinion of whoever's looking at the card that day, whether it's you know PSA, BGS, any of the other companies. Where for you, if I send a card in into in, into tag and I get it back, if I break it open and send it back, it's unless I damaged it opening up, it's going to come back the same exact grade. 
There's no there's exactly. No. Yeah. Our, our, our grading system doesn't have a bad day. Our grading system is never hung over. Our grading system never got dumped by its girlfriend the yeah, day before yeah. Yeah. our grading system isn't getting paid, you know, 18 or $20 an hour. Our grading system, uh, it, it's indifferent to yeah. who you are, what card is in it, is in it, et cetera. So to me, it, it, it is the way of the future. I know the hobby is very adverse to change. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of vested interest in the existing grading companies because there's a lot of value tied up in those cards. One thing about us is we're not right now, we're not doing cards from 2000 or from prior to 2000. So we're only doing cards 2000 forward at this time. And so I think that's a big differentiator. And between us and say PSA and Beckett, where they have a lot of cards and slabs from before the year 2000. And so, you know, we're not really going to, at this point anyway, we're not going to sort of show the hobby how those cards really should grade uh, mm. relative to those other companies. So that's a nice thing, I, I guess. But for 2000 forward, yeah, you know, we're going to really be able, and we'll eventually move back in time into the 90s and the 80s, and we'll see how far we get. But we have other priorities right now, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that update. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so I know you have a collection or somewhat of a of a set, I, I would say, of Panini smash hits, the music cards, uh, as well as uh, movie cards, too. Um, I discovered the actually I discovered the smash hits smash hits at uh, National last year, and I bought a few last year. And since then, I've completed a number of sets. I have a number out being graded now. Uh, and my question to you um, is, why do you think that the music and the movie card these cards are not as not as popular as sports cards? And do you think that'll change? Do you think that the, the music and the movie cards will start to gain some traction more than they've had so far. Yeah. F fun question for me. Cause I love those cards and uh, I've been collecting music and Hollywood cards now for several years, you know, going back to the fifties, I have a few, like I have a nice Charlie Chaplin card from 1930 something or other. I just pulled up my, my images on my, on my phone here. Uh, like here's here's my my Charlie Chaplin from 1930, Jay Milhoff. I mean, look oh, wow. at look at how awesome that is. <laughs> and like that's crazy. just yeah. a wonderful historical piece. Mm. Um, I think I think there's a couple of reasons why they haven't taken off like sports cards have yet. Number one, for the most part, the at least the cards I'm interested in aren't produced in America. You know, they're produced in Britain or they're produced in Sweden or in Denmark, you know, you've got the, the Swedish Samler Saker series, you've got the, the Dutch series, you've got a lot of these British cards, like the ones, the one I just showed you, um, Ogden's 1924 Ogden's William Shakespeare, wow. like how cool, <laughs> like I think about music, Hollywood and historical figures. Those are kind of the three categories outside of sports. So that's the first thing. Not a lot of production of those cards that ever caught on were done in North America. Uh, Panini made the smash hit series. Panini at the time was an Italian company. I mean, they still are, but they don't, they didn't have Panini America back then. I think they did. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe they did, but they weren't something that was like at, at all of the corner stores where you'd go to, you know, the, the, the seven 11s and that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's a part of it. You know, you also have to consider that collecting cards is something that really 
caught on with young children originally. You know, sure there were adults that did it too, but back in the day, even up to the eighties, it was it was a, it was a kid's hobby, and I don't know that kids really cared as much about who was singing the songs or who was you know you know who was acting in the movies versus watching the sports that they were also playing. You know, so. I think that might be a part of it as well. I think there's huge potential for them because music is a is it, it, it's a cultural phenomenon. You know, everybody listens to music. Like everybody listens to music. Not everybody watches sports. Mm-hmm. You get into your car or a car, there's music playing. You know, you get into the elevator, there's music playing. Music is in the background everywhere we go. So I think there's a ton of. Uh, potential for music cards you know what like the rolling stones and the doors and Jimi hendrix i mean these are these are the goats of music so um yeah i, I love them i think yeah. they're they're a nice complement to our sports cards yeah and and i think back too so as i got involved in these i the earliest back i have is 87 you know but i just think back as a kid too it was such a big deal the music you know uh and and i know we're close in age uh, I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, going to the record store, you know, going down like on a new a new record was being released to go get the record, you know, the album and go home, you know, and then and then it went to cassettes and then CDs. But it was it was always a big deal. I mean, in the car, right? You always had as a teenager in high school, you always had to have the stereo with the music blaring. Right. I mean, it was just like a rite of passage right so so that there's a lot when i discovered you know these panini I, I had no idea panini had smash hits when i discovered them and i'm looking at them and as i'm looking at you know the the, the artist i'm singing their song in my head and i'm like oh oh yeah it's all over <laughs> just just let me have them all just put them all give me a deal and and yeah now i find myself buying a ton of these and i i you know, from people from Great Britain and Egypt and all over, like now all over the world, I'm going to have the stuff is being shipped to me from all over. So now I've reached beyond, right, beyond, you know, the, the United States or my area. And, I'm, you know, the stuff is coming. And and I say to myself, like, it's making me feel this good. I'm sure there's you know, people out there who just don't know they exist yet. Right. I mean, exactly. maybe they just don't know they exist yet. Like, like, you know, that card you see at a show, you didn't know, know it, you needed it until you saw it. Now, I, now I want it. Right. Well, it, it, it's nostalgic as well. Just like we were talking about with sports cards. I mean, I, I recently uh, and I put this out on my Instagram. I did a little short video. I discovered that the movie Anchorman has some cards. And I thought, where do you get these? Well, you had to buy a special edition Blu-ray. Uh, called the mahogany edition and it comes with a pack of cards that has the 12 cards set in it i'd never seen these before somebody posted them on twitter last week i saw them i found out where they were from i went on to amazon bought the blu-ray it's going to come on monday so i'll have it by the time this drops and i'm going to have my my anchorman cards it's nostalgic <laughs> for me i remember going to the movie with friends i remember watching it i remember seeing it two or three times like it's it's the same thing as driving in the car. I remember driving in the car in the 80s, listening to Billy Joel. Well, of course I want a Billy Joel card. Like, come on, who doesn't, right? If you were listening to that. If you were, I remember when Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction came out. I was in what, grade nine or 10, listening to that album, driving my first car. Of yeah. course I want a Guns N' Roses card. It takes me back to those days. Just yeah. like my 1985 Mario Lemieux rookie takes me back to, 
going to the cart, like watching him play the best player since Gretzky and buying my first my first Lemieux cart at the LCS in Winnipeg at, at, at ABD cards for 25 cents. Like it's all nostalgia. We yeah. love we love those innocent times when before we had responsibility and taking us back to then is just a way I think that we psychologically we psychologically keep ourselves mentally healthy and uh, and balance out life. Uh, life is not easy. Life isn't no. easy as an adult, no matter who you are. You've no. got you've got responsibilities, yeah. and um, so yeah. I, and, I, and these I, are I'm a vice. Nostalgia. You know, these are like a vice, right? Like every, like everything else, right? It's a nice release from yeah. from from everyday life. Uh, we, we didn't even get to touch on hockey, but I think we'll we'll do that in the next interview, right? The next sure. time I have you on. But but last question to you, um, your opinion, state of the hobby. I mean, I, I I know. Listen, I'm a glass half full person in life, so I think I'm a glass half full person in the hobby. I think the hobby right now is the strongest strongest it's ever been. So why would you say that, Jeremy? I mean, come on. The hot cards are down 50% since 2021. Well, here's why. The the strength of the hobby is not measured on what cards are worth. The strength of the hobby is measured on um, a- activity, being involved, uh, volume, how many how many people are are into the hobby at any given time. And I think that when the hobby was peaking, it was somewhat unhealthy because Things were just going crazy. We had a lot of people coming in who were just looking to make a quick buck. They weren't true collectors. They weren't they weren't the end user. So right now, after all that, some people stuck around. So we grew our end user base in the hobby. The foundation is very strong now because it's bigger than ever. There may be fewer people participating now than there were a year and a half, two years ago, but those weren't the right people for it. So the hobby right now, I believe, with the with the people that we that we we gained through the pandemic and the original collectors we had, I mean, they're still all here, most of them, unless they've passed away, and that happens all the time, doesn't matter when. Um, the hobby, I believe, is as strong as it's ever been. And it's evolving. You now have tag grading. You can actually we we actually have a, a real accurate grading company for the first time ever. You know, yeah. it's like I don't know what the future is going to hold in terms of fanatics coming in and Panini losing their licenses. And I mean, all this, who knows what's going to happen with that, but state of the hobby, it's more enjoyable than ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's more people in it. We all have more friends through the hobby than we ever had before, especially if you're involved in social media or you, or you, you go to card shops, you attend trade nights. The, the hobby has gotten so much more innovative, not just grading with tag, but other other innovations breaking the 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 live shopping experiences more and more platforms which you know has its pros and its cons um i just think that the hobby is it's it's so much it's a lifestyle that's one of my catchphrases the hobby is a lifestyle but it truly is a lifestyle we are a true subculture and yeah i mean i'm ken i'm always bullish on the hobby but i'm probably the most bullish now yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, I set up it. I'm a dealer at shows, and I've noticed these last few shows the really the strength of the the shows, the 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 foot traffic, the the sales at the shows. You know what's going on at the shows, and to me that you know it's just a barometer of of, of you know just my little area. 
right? My little area here. But I talk to other people that are going out to these bigger shows, which I hope to get out to this year. Uh, and they're saying the same thing, that it, you know, the shows are really strong. So, I mean, with the, sh the, the shows are strong, the, the, the hobby is strong, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the, the first Burbank show, which was last August, was an unbelievable show. I mean, it blew people's minds yeah. away. The Toronto Expo that I was set up at in November was the best expo I'd ever been to. And I've been setting up there twice a year for mm -hmm. 17 years. It was unbelievable. I had my best show there as a vendor. Um, as a buyer, I, I wasn't able to buy as many great cards because I was so busy doing deals at my own booth. But um, the best show I'd ever had from a vendor perspective uh, by about 40%. Mm -hmm. um, and now we have the next Burbank show coming up in Ontario, California, Super Bowl weekend. I'll be there uh, with tag. I'll also be there as a, as a collector. Um, I mean, I think it's going to blow people's minds away. So you never know what can happen in the future, but I'm excited for 2023. I, you know, the other beautiful thing about where cards are at right now is that more and more collectors are able to buy cards relative to a year and a half ago because the prices have come down. So it's, yeah. I mean, how wonderful is that? The people who are not happy with the hobby, who are the most vocal and setting some of the narrative on social media are people who, who their entry point was 2021 or late 2020. So yeah, they may not financially have done as well because they bought in at the peak. But yeah. if you've been in the hobby for longer than a minute, and by a minute, I mean three years, you're loving where the hobby's at right yeah. now. So yeah, absolutely. So besides Burbank, what's the uh, what other shows will you be doing? What other big shows do you do? Well, I mean, I've always done the Sport Card Expo in Toronto, which is always twice a year. Usually this year, it's uh, April 20th to 23rd, and then it'll be in November again. I love that show. That, to me, is the best show in the world. Yeah. Uh, the National. I love the National. Yeah. I've, I've missed yeah. one National since, I think, 2006 or seven. So I think I've been to the last 17 Nationals, whatever that math is, minus one. Uh, the now the expo expanded out to Edmonton, which is just north of me. So I'll be doing that show. That's in May fifth to seventh this year, and I've done that. That show kind of took over for a, from a prior version that was called the Summit. I've done that since its inception, and then the Burbank show, the uh, the Union Marketplace show in Del Mar. I'll be doing that with Tag, and and you know I, I go to all these shows as a collector. Uh, what else is there? What am I missing? Um, oh, the Mint Collective, of course, coming up in Las Vegas at the end of March. Uh, I was at the inaugural version of that last year, had a great time. I'll be back at that this year. So, yeah, I mean, that 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 is is co-produced by Collectible, a company that I have a, a professional relationship or a contract relationship with out of New York. They're the fractional ownership company. I do show for them uh, most Sundays, sometimes on Tuesdays. So, yeah, I mean, I love I love being at card shows, Ken. That's the where busiest guy in the hobby, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> at a card show, now you're pick, you know, you're able to pick up a card, look at it. You're actually meeting other collectors. Yeah. You're 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 strengthening relationships with people you already know. Like yeah. being at a card show is my favorite environment in the world. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely love it. And I get a weekend that comes up and there's no card show. I'm I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, maybe the next state, maybe two states. Well, it is 160 miles. Like if I left at 430, I, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I feel at my mentality of just love, love being at card shows. Me too. Uh, it's the best. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'll definitely see you at National. Uh, it's possible I may uh, be in Toronto in April. 
Um, I've been I've been talking on the pod about wanting to drive up there. It's within driving distance of where I am, just to drive up there and uh, and attend that show. So I, I I may see you there. We'll be in touch. Uh, well, let me there. let me yeah. let me invite you to the Toronto Nash the Toronto Expo. Let me invite you to talk to our friend Rob Gerard, the sports car therapist. You guys come up together, your whole Wolfpack crew. Let's uh, let's get the whole Wolfpack up to uh, the Toronto Expo. I promise you guys will have a good time. I host a dinner on the Thursday night. I've been doing that for uh, over 10 years now. Um, you, I, I don't pay for everybody's dinner, but I, I organize and invite everybody else. I invite so, you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, come come on up. We'd love to have you. That'd be wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremy, again, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Ken. Had a great time. Take care. <laughs>